Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. I remember on one of the deployments, uh, a chaplain had given me a cross. He was giving them out to everybody. And I really didn't want to take this cross. And, you know, I, I tried to avoid it. And he's, he said, just take it. Just, you know, just hold on to it. See if it says anything to you, you know, see, see what it, what happens with it. And if you lose it, you lose it. So I did it. I, I took it and I put it on begrudgingly, you know, but I, I did it. And I ended up getting into a, a vehicle that was completely destroyed, except for the driver's seat where I was sitting. I mean, it was completely destroyed. There was really no explanation for why I was able to survive this simple pocket of the driver's seat. But the steering wheel was in, like smashed into my chest and it bent the cross. You know, I had, I was wearing the cross. I, I didn't even think about that. Uh, you know, I've, I've known about this story. I've thought about it at times, but I didn't think much of it. I just was like, this is weird. You know, this is, this is something that I didn't think that, you know, it necessarily stopped me, but I had a bruise from that cross. I didn't have so much of a bruise from the steering wheel, which was kind of odd. I, I always thought that was kind of weird, but I had a bruise on from that cross. And so, you know, it, it kind of stuck with me and they, you bring it up. So I was, that's kind of interesting, but I did find that I was starting to become more open to my faith because I never, I never gave up on the idea of Jesus. I couldn't shake Jesus from me. Sure. I, I've, I've always had a strong relationship with him, but I really wanted it on my terms. You know, I, <laughs> I wanted to believe that, you know, I could do whatever I wanted and he was always going to forgive me and, you know, maybe didn't even think I had to ask for forgiveness. I just kind of expected it, you know, kind of, you know, presumptive, I guess, on my part. All right. So then, I mean, so let's get into your near-death experience. What happened after that, when you had that first, you know, that first incident, that first heart failure? Okay. Well, that first one, I didn't, I didn't see anything, you know, I, I did, I did end up getting intubated that one. Um, you know, they thought I was going to die. They really told my wife, he's not going to come back. And if he does come back, he's going to be a vegetable in the hospital until he dies. Wow. So they, wow. they really were talking about end of life procedures and what, you know, what she wanted to do. And, you know, I, I was one of those people who I, I just don't like to give up. So don't pull the plug. You know, that's kind of my mentality. I, I just, until I naturally die, that's the way it's going to be. I don't care, you know, what, what the situation is like. So she didn't, thankfully, you know, allow them to just kind of stop assisting me. But uh, I came back from that one and I actually recovered really quickly. I was out of the hospital in a week, which wow. doctors were really surprised. And I, I wasn't out of the woods by any means. You know, I, they had put in a defibrillator and this defibrillator, it was, that was painful. They, they said that the, the power was like twice the, the amount of a police stun gun. And so, I mean, this thing was shocking me and it was, 
it was bad. The first time I got shocked, I was sleeping and I, you know, completely out. So I, my knees end up kind of buckling in half and my, my waist came forward and it hit my, my knees hit my face. And I ended wow. up getting like a busted up nose, bruised up face. I mean, my face was swollen. I looked horrible, but I thought somebody had, had hit me in with a baseball bat. That's what it felt like to me. So I was crawling around on my hands and knees looking through the house. I thought some, somebody had home invaded us and, right. and I was trying to find out where they were. And my wife was like, I think, you, I think you got shocked, you know? And so I was like a, the first reality check that I had that, I, you know, I'm not doing so well. And, wow. you know, I had some checkups and they kept saying that, you know, my, um, I had extra beats. I had a lot of weird things going on with my heart. My, my, my uh, rhythms in my heart were completely off. So I was having like 70,000 beats, extra beats per, per day. And they said, you know, that's like running a couple marathons, you know, just constantly extra beats. But I, I would have runs of like ventricular tachycardia, which is just really fast heart rate. When I had that first heart failure, it was about 300 beats per minute. Oh my God. And I would shoot up pretty close to that on a regular basis in between the, the first heart event and and then when I actually died in January. So this was August 26th of 2016 that I had that first one. And I ended up dying in January, January 16th of 2017. Okay. And so I was in and out of the hospital. I mean, I was like a frequent flyer on the uh, the ambulance. They, the, the fire department paramedics, they knew, knew me by name and, you know, they were great. They came in, they cracked some jokes with me and tried to keep me calm, you know, at, while all this was going on. And but, you know, it, it, it was getting to the point where it was getting so bad that I knew I wasn't going to make it very long. Right. So I, uh, on the January, on the January 16th one, I, I had just gotten out of the hospital in, in December, um, spent a little, you know, little about about a week, I think that time in the hospital. And um, I told him, I said, I'm not going to die here in the hospital. I want to go home and spend Christmas with my family. So I did. And, you know, I started to, to feel a little better. And then January 16th happened. They had made a diagnosis of what was really going on. They knew I had what's called sarcoidosis. And so that was eating away at my heart and, you know, all my other organs. Um, but then on January 16th, I started going to the ventricular tachycardia again, except this time it was just below the threshold for my device. So it wasn't shocking me. They brought me into the hospital and for seven hours, they were trying to get me stabilized and trying to you know, bring my heart rate down enough to where they could control, but they, they couldn't do anything. Nothing was working. Um, they ended up feeling like they could move me to the ICU from the ER. They had a lot of people in there, so it was time to get me moving on. Once they transferred me from the ER bed to the ICU bed, I went into really high ventricular tachycardia. And so they were, you know, they brought in the crash team. They knew it was, you know, getting close to the time. So they had, you know, 20 people in this little ICU room and they were, they were shocking me. They, so they had me strapped down to the bed so they could, you know, shock me when they needed, but they were working on me. And I kind of felt like the, you know, the scarecrow from the wizard of Oz, when the, those flying monkeys come in <laughs> in, yeah. in that dark woods, you know, cause everything got real dark and just, I, I had tunnel vision, you know, and I, I was really really kind of just focused on, okay, I got to pray. I'm going to die here anytime. I could tell my body was given out. There was, there was nothing I had left to fight with. And so they were pulling my arms all over the place and doing different things, sticking me with IVs. And, you know, it was, 
it was really tough to, to even concentrate, but I, I had this crucifix sitting on the wall in the hospital room. And that was happened to be where my face was pointed. So I was able to focus on that. And I just said, Jesus, you know, I, I need your help because I'm not strong enough to get through this. This is where the, the, the mortality really came forefront for me that I, I realized this, this was it. And there was nothing I had left to be able to get through it. And so they started asking me a lot of questions about, you know, my family, my profession, things that I knew that they already had known because they'd been asking me it for the last seven hours, but they were really intent on it. And I knew that what they were trying to do was trying to keep me present with them. And so I just told them, I, I took everything in my, in my being to be able to say, I don't want to talk. You know, I just wanted them to, to be quiet, do their thing, but let me just focus on, on getting right with God because I was about to meet them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I closed my eyes and then I, I just said, God, I'm ready to go and, you know, take me whenever you want. And it wasn't long after that, that I, I felt my body like a shake and a pop in my body as if my, my soul burst forth from my body. And that's when I, I found myself in this dark tunnel or like a kind of like a, maybe a portal or something, but it was, I was looking off into space you know, but it wasn't space. It was like this big, dark void, like a real vast, empty space, like outer space, you know, in, in its vastness, but without the planets or, you know, any kind of light that, that, you know, like beams or anything like that. But I felt this, this rush of love come over me and it was powerful. I mean, it was penetrating into my soul. It was palpable. It was something that I could actually feel entering into my soul and, you know, as I'm staring at this dark void, it was really easy, I think, for, for me to, to have been content to just stay there and experience that, that love and, and do nothing, you know, and the dark void really wanted me to do that. It felt like it had its own presence, like its own type of, of personality or being to it. I didn't hear anything audible. Like when I, when I came into this place, every, every sound went off. So all that chaos in the hospital room immediately was dead silent. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So this was more of like an intellectual conversations, you know, like an imprinting in my, in my soul, if you will. And so I'm looking at it and I said, well, this can't be it. You know, this can't not be all there is. I'm feeling this love. I knew that this, this wasn't all that there was just to sit there and just feel love from nothing and just go into oblivion. <laughs> right. So I, yeah, I, I realized as, as soon as I said that, that I was actually seeing into the dark. So there was light. And that's when I knew I could see in all directions. So I had three, 360 degree vision. I could see the dark void and I could see a light behind me. And this light was immense. I mean, it was so powerful. It was way brighter than the sun. So I, I turned towards the light and I actually made a real motion to turn. So I, I turned to the right and I, I turned around, but I was still seeing the dark void. So it wasn't like I lost vision of that, but I, I, I really took a real turn, which was interesting. And as soon as I, I was looking at the light, I said, I want to be with that light. And I was there and I didn't feel any wind or inertia or anything to give me the impression that I was, I was moving as quickly as I was, but but I knew I had taken every step along the way. And imagine being able to see 
an indefinite amount. I, mean, I don't even know how to put a label on how far this this light was from where I was at. But imagine light years, light years, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's it. That's exactly what we could say. It was an immense amount of space in between us, and it felt like it was no time at all to get there. But yet, I had this vast memory of time that you know, because it just doesn't really exist there. The time was so bizarre. It was so hard to wrap my head around that I couldn't tell tell you if it was a second or a thousand years. You know, I, I just really didn't have a grasp of it, but it could have been both. And, you know, at the same time. And what's really crazy is that as soon as I had died, my intelligence grew vastly. So, I mean, it was just like, I was instantaneously flooded with this vast knowledge, like all my memories that I had throughout my life. And honestly, I felt like every memory of everyone or everything that ever existed was there at once. So like I had this vast knowledge of things that I had never even participated in. And it wasn't confusing. It wasn't like, you know, if, if I'm trying to think about what I had for breakfast and, you know, what we just talked about two seconds ago, that's, that takes a little bit of effort, takes something of my mind to actually focus on those things. This was much easier, except whatever I did focus on took the forefront. So I still had everything in like the periphery of my mind and I could still access it. But what I took the, a main interest on or focus on, that was what really predominated my, my focal point. But as I'm looking at this light, I'm realizing that, you know, this thing is huge. This light was bigger than, than the vast darkness that I had originally seen. And it went on, you know, to the left and to the right, and it went up and down and it was just vast. And I, I'm looking at, and what's cool about my vision was that I was able to see my vision as it was kind of growing, you know, so I'm, I'm watching as I'm, you know, traveling, you know, a mile, two miles, 10 hundred miles, you know, just keep going. Right. But I'm also seeing what where I'm at at that point. I'm still looking at the light here. I'm looking in that direction. So I'm able to go in all the directions and watch my vision growing as it's going. So it was, again, there was nothing that was limited in that ability. Mm. And so I'm looking at this light and I, I said, you know, because I knew it was God. I didn't, I didn't have to have God say, hey, Brian, you know, this is me. You know? <laughs> it's God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see a body though, or a face, you know, it, but it, so, I mean, it, it could have been just his love or his being or his light. That was, that was what I was seeing, but I knew it was him. It was a representation of him in some way. He was actually interacting with me and he said that I could come into the light. So of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to definitely go into light. It was, it was like, I felt home for once, you know, and I, I often like to describe it as, you know, that movie Shawshank Redemption, where he has to escape through the, the sewer pipe. Mm-hmm. That's, that seemed like the grossest thing to me ever, just to go through, per, particularly through prisoners. I mean, if you've ever been in a prison and I worked there, so I, you know, there's some of them who are not that hygienic and, but it people's feces and, and all that, it's just not something I want to be part of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he crawled through that to get, you know, to get to freedom. To get to the light. Yeah, I think I would have stayed in prison, to be honest with you. But <laughs> to, go, to be there in front of that light with that love, I would have stayed in there for eternity. You know, because that love was so powerful. I've never felt anything like that, where I had this, this actual love for who I am, not not what I present to the world, not, not anything not the else. mask, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not the mask. Exactly. It, it was that he loved me. 
the, the way that he made me, the person that I really am. And I didn't lose all that, even though I was, I was completely submitted to, to God. I, I've never been one to bow a knee to anybody. I'm a very strong-willed person. But I was completely submissive to God. And it wasn't even like he was making me be. You know, it was oh. that I was looking at him and realizing that he could squash me like, like a bug, not even a bug. I mean, a bug would have put up a better fight than I could have. But I, I was realizing that he loved me. And just because of that love, I wanted to give love back as much as I could. And I, I felt like I was home, like I really belonged here. And so I'm, I'm in, going into the light. And as I'm going in, it felt like his love was rushing into me even more. Like I was like a straw, you know, you drink from a straw and you, you're, you're taking in the fluid and it's, the straw is full, you know, as it's going from one end to the other, it's full, never, never goes empty. And that's how I felt. But like that love was coming out back, back into heaven. So it was regenerating, but I was never being depleted of, of that love. It was only growing. So the whole time I was in heaven, this was a consistent fact that I kept feeling more intensity of that love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I believe that that's probably how it's going to be for eternity because it felt like God really was infinite and that his love is infinite. So that was going to be something that we were going to constantly feel at a, at a new higher level throughout eternity. That I just, I, it overwhelmed me with, with, with just this feeling of love back, you know, and right. all my other emotions were gone. You know, that fear that I had in the hospital room, gone. It was gone in a heartbeat. I had memories of things that I used to be resentful for, God. things that I was angry about, you know, the military for one thing. You know, it was like certain things that, you know, I just died. I, I, was, I had those kind of emotions when I was dying. They were all gone. I had no negative emotions whatsoever. The only thing that was, was there emotionally was love. You know, and, and that was that was really impressive to me because, you know, our brains are physical matter. So our emotions are part of our physical being. That was that was non-existent there. And this was a, a spiritual thing. You know, this was this was real love, not not the love that we have on Earth with a price tag and, and things <laughs> that we put on it that, you know, if you do this for me, then I'll give you love back. But as soon as you stop doing it, there's no more love, you know, and. It, that wasn't how it was. This was, this was a pure kind of love. Did you, did you by any chance have a life review? I've heard many people have life reviews. Yeah. I, as, as soon as, so I'm walking through that light and I, I came I said, I wanted to see Jesus. You know, I could feel that he was there. It was still, it was this feeling like what I had when I was praying at that, to that crucifix. And I had this, this intense feeling that he was there with me. Um, so I, I said, I wanted, I wanted to see Jesus. And as soon as I said that, the, the light opened up into this, this other room. And this room was so big. It was much bigger than that dark void. It was, it was huge. And it was encompassed by the light. And there was like a green, pinkish kind of, uh, not really green and pink like we would see, but it was, those were the closest kind of examples I can come up with. But it was this really intense color of the atmosphere. And it was alive. It was moving. And it was you know, that's where that was, the love was transporting into me through this, this atmosphere. But there were a ton of beings in this room. And all these beings were bright and shiny. They were just beautiful, sparkling light. And there was one in the middle that was 
obviously it was Jesus. I, I, I really didn't have to have him explain it to me, but he, I, I could feel his, his just beauty and his love, which was reflecting that of God. And so I, I looked at him and I said, I want to see your face because it was just this bright light. And it was as bright as the light that I had seen. And that was covering, covering all of this room that we were in. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And so as soon as I said that, his face came together. But what's interesting is that while I was seeing his face, I could only see, like, lay down in my memory, that bright light. And it, it was like flashing this light into my eyes or into my memory. But I could see his face with my eyes or whatever I had for eyes. I didn't look at my body, so I didn't have like a physical body, but I did have some sort of a containment of my soul. It wasn't like my soul wasn't oozing out all over the place. <laughs> I, I did have some kind of like a, a, a being. So I, I think it was much like what I saw of the other beings, just like, I don't know how much mine was sparkling. <laughs> you know, with the other. Probably not like the rest of them, but I, uh, but, it, but so when his face came together, it was kind of like those little uh, sketchbooks, you know, kind of like this, you know, where you, you have like a drawing on, mm-hmm. on a notepad and you kind of flip through it and you can see that the drawing move, right? Like an animation. Right. Yes, exactly. So that's what his face was was like. I was bringing it in, but it wasn't laying down into my memory. So each page that was flipping was a new a new imprint. It was like I didn't have an example to to draw upon. You know, if, if you see a dog, you know a dog has four legs usually, and so you know we see a dog and we say, "Oh, that's a dog," and we can we can bring it to a previous memory that we've once had. Right. I wasn't able to draw on anything like that. So. Mm. This was all new, but I could keep that light. That light was so powerful. And so that's when we went into the life review. And it, you know, it was, it wasn't like it was just happening in this, you know, this kind of order. Everything was all at once. You know, like Mm -hmm. I said, with the time, it was, it it was like it was already being done. And then it was still being done at the same time, if that makes any kind of sense. It's hard to explain that what's going on on the other side you know, with, with the limitations we have, you know, through our vocabulary and just our understanding here on earth. But so as, as we do it through this life review, I'm going through everything that I, that I did in my life. I mean, it was good, bad, and the ugly, right? And everything that I had done, I, I was seeing how it impacted Jesus during his passion. You know, all the things that he had to suffer throughout his life for me and how that impacted him. And, you know, the things that really got me were, were the things that I had done to other people, how I had hurt other people. That really was hurting me because I saw how that hurt God. I realized how much he loves every single one of us. You know, it's easy for us to say, well, there's no way God could love that person because they're doing this or that, you know, and that's not true. He still loves that person, despite the fact that they're doing this or that. He doesn't love this or that, but he, he loves that person. And for me to, to, to not show them love, that was, that was what hurt Jesus. And, you know, that hurt me as I'm, I'm looking at that. And yet at the same time, he was healing me of, of my, my own, my own deficits that I had, you know, my, my shame, my, my distrust in myself, the attachments I had to certain things. He was healing me from all that, but every broken place that I had, he was, he was healing those, you know, the fact that I had just died 
man, he made that beautiful for me. That suffering no longer was suffering. He made that a joy. Somehow that my suffering and, you know, I, I thought I did a, a fairly decent job. I look at it now and I don't think I suffered as well as, as I, ha- I could have. But, you know, I didn't complain a lot about it. I didn't, you know, I didn't try to make other people feel bad or, but it was, it was as if he, he was rewarding me for, for just honorably suffering, you know, because let's face it in life, we are all going to suffer. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to live, you know, and it, whether you, you lose your cell phone or whatever, it just depends on how it affects a person, you know, but we all look at things and we can say, wow, I wish this wasn't this way in my life. And, you know, so we have to endure some of that stuff. And that's, that's, that's what we, we can really gain graces from that because God's with us. He, he went through all that stuff. He knows what it's like. So he's, he's not absent from that suffering, but when we're there, he, he makes that beautiful. And that's where I, I really learned that, you know, the times that I could have maybe kept my mouth shut, not been so strong-willed, not been so prideful and arrogant, and maybe humble myself and not, not demand my way every single time. Those were the things, the opportunities that I missed that I could have done more for him. I could have suffered a little inconvenience by not, you know, telling somebody off when they, when they made me upset. Right. You know, I could have, I could have just been peaceful and kind in every situation because it really didn't matter. It doesn't necessarily change somebody when you tell them off. In fact, it often entrenches them in their behavior even more because they've become defensive. But I learned that that that's not the way that God wants us to act. He wants us to to be kind to each other, a, a true charity, to care about the good of another person, you know, to care about them enough to help them in getting to heaven themselves, even if that means just not saying anything at all. You know, sometimes we just have to to swallow our pride. 